We're in Romans chapter 5. If you would uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And we left off in verse 12. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that grace comes into our lives through Christ. It's a privilege to be able to be together to study your word. And Holy Spirit, would you lead us and guide us into truth? God, would you give me grace and strength in teaching your word? And and we want to learn more about you, Jesus. We want you to be glorified. So we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So far in the book of Romans, Paul has laid out for us the depravity of our sin. This black canvas that shows us the fact that we're sinners. But then in chapter 3, the gem of the gospel. That we're justified freely by God's grace. We're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. In chapter 4, Paul showed us two from the Old Testament that were also justified by faith. Abraham and David who were heroes of the faith for the nation of Israel that they looked up to. Last week, if you were with us in chapter 5, it was the life of justification. What's wrapped up in being declared righteous by God? What's wrapped up in this free gift of salvation that God has given to us is we have peace with God. If you're a believer, I hope you've enjoyed peace with God this week, of knowing that you have his favor, you have his love. You have his affection. We're no longer enemies of God. We have access to his grace. Have you found yourself going to the throne room of God's grace, getting the help that you need in in time of need? We've got access to grace. But also we have hope. We have this confidence that God is good, that God is doing good. The last one, remember it, life of justification is we glory in tribulation. Knowing that God's working, that he's growing us in perseverance and character and hope. The love of God is being spread about in our hearts. And that leads us to where we are in chapter 5. As we get into the second half of chapter 5, Paul gives us another illustration of justification by taking us back to Adam. Through Adam's sin, we all then inherited the sinful nature. One man impacted us all. In a greater way, Jesus, in his death upon the cross, impacted us for forgiveness, impacted us for justification. The Bible refers to Adam in the Garden of Eden as the first Adam. 1 Corinthians 15 calls him the first Adam. But then Jesus is called the last Adam. So Adam in the Garden of Eden brought about condemnation, but Jesus brings about justification in our lives. So there's this contrast and comparison that takes place through Adam and Christ as we go through our text. Join me in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. One man's sin, then sin entered into the world. The consequence of Adam's sin is that then everyone after Adam was born with a sinful nature. Now, some would really doubt this. Some would really question that we're born with a sinful nature. And I just wonder, have they spent time with a toddler recently? You know? <laughs> Something happens to kids about 18 months, right? 
And their will, their selfishness just starts to be expressed. In the language of a toddler, if it looks like mine, it's mine. If it was mine five minutes ago, it's mine. Right? If it's yours, it's mine. Basically, I desire it to to be mine. And where did they learn that? Well, it's that sinful nature. Do you you have to teach a child how to lie? You you never teach a child how, how to lie. We're all sinners. This is what is wrong with the world today. As we try to analyze the world, what is wrong with the world today is the fact that we're sinners. We're living under the consequence of sin. It's why there's difficulty in my life. There's difficulty in your life. It's what's wrong with our community. It's what's wrong with with the world. And thankfully, there's an answer for our sin and it's our Savior. But we need to be reminded about that in our life and as we look at our community and we look at this world, it needs Jesus because sin has entered in through Adam. All our sinners all have that sinful nature because of, of Adam. Isn't it interesting as we read through this in other sections of scripture, who's missing? Eve. Adam is held uh, responsible and not Eve. Sin is passed on through Adam. And we go, well, why is that, right? Well, why is Adam the one that was responsible? Because Adam was the leader of his marriage. Adam was the, the head of his household. So God held Adam accountable and says that sin was passed on through Adam. The second thing that came into the world through Adam was death. The wages of sin is death. Even when Adam and Eve sinned, they realized that they were naked and God provided a covering for them and there was the death of the first animal. The consequence of sin was death. Once sin entered into the world, it wasn't loving for God to allow us to have eternal life in that state and death resulted. Adam and Eve died and all of those following Adam and Eve died. You see sin coming into this first family very quickly as they had their first two children, Cain and Abel. Such high hopes uh, for their son, but it ended in murder. It ended in homicide. Imagine reading Genesis for the very first time and you get to creation and Adam and Eve and you're like, wait a second, did Cain just kill Abel? Yeah, absolutely. Death, sin and death entered in to the equation very quickly. In verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. The law takes sin and puts it to our account. It holds us accountable for our sin. If you like driving your car 100 miles an hour on I-25, you're going to get a ticket. It's just, just a matter of time, right? But if you drive your car 100 miles an hour on the German Autobahn, you're not going to get a ticket. There's no law. So it's the law that holds you accountable. It's the law that imputes transgression to our account. In verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So even though the law wasn't given until Moses, still there was death from Adam until Moses. We read the Old Testament genealogies and they all died, except for Enoch who was taken up to to be with the Lord. So death was an evidence of their sin, even though they hadn't received the law. 
they didn't transgress in the same way as Adam. Verse 14 tells us that, but there was still transgression in their lives. Now here we have Adam, who is a type of him who is to come, or a pattern or a foreshadowing of the one who is to come. We think about this. So Adam was in the Garden of Eden, and his sin then resulted in us having a sinful nature, us inheriting sin. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, another garden, surrendered to the plan of the Father, not my will, but your will be done, and salvation. Salvation occurred because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Through Adam's sin, thorns entered into the world, the curse of thorns. Jesus took the crown of thorns upon his head. He took the curse for for himself. So Adam points to Jesus Christ. We go on into verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Maybe you've had this thought or heard this argument. How can one man's sacrifice upon the cross result in all of us being forgiven? Well, here Paul is showing us that Adam is one man, and yet his disobedience impacted us all. Here's now the contrast. There's a difference between Adam and Jesus because Jesus brings this free gift. It's not like the offense. I mean, some of us are probably waiting till we get home to be with the Lord and Adam's there and like, thanks a lot, buddy. Like you really made things hard for us. And one of the things that we have to understand is, is Adam was the best representation that we have. Adam and Eve was, was the best representation of, of humanity. It's almost like a power lifter for the Olympics. You know, if they can't win us a gold medal, I know that I can't, right? They're not going to go, yeah, we're going to put Eric Cardi in there to be a baby power lifter. That's a joke. You know, that's, that's laughable. So, so Adam... He was the best that we had. Eve was the best that we have. We would have fallen in that same way. But Jesus is different because he didn't bring us the sinful nature. He brought us the free gift of salvation. He brought us the grace of God and the gift by the grace one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. The point of (coughs) this text is really understanding the grace of God that comes in to our lives through the person of Jesus Christ. It's as if the Holy Spirit knows how hard it is for us to really understand the grace of God and live in the grace of God. We know it up here that God is gracious, but it's hard for it to take root in our hearts and lives. So Paul is led through the Holy Spirit to just expound and expound and expound how the grace of God can come into our lives. Grace is unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. It's a gift that we can't attain in and of ourselves. And it abounds. The the grace of God abounds in our lives through the person of Jesus Christ. Have you received a gift in your lifetime that really touched your heart? Like what would you say is like the top two gifts that, that you received? For me, one really comes to mind. I was 16 years old, junior in high school. We had moved from so- Southern Oregon to Salt Lake City, Utah. That was a big change to, to go from 
Southern Oregon to Salt Lake City. And I'd been playing guitar and kind of had a, a junky guitar. And if you play guitar, you know it's, it's a lot more fun to play on a nice guitar. You just find yourself playing more. It sounds better, all of those things. It's just a better experience. And my mom had inherited some money from my great aunt Bertha. My great aunt Bertha had passed away in her mid-90s and she gave my mom a thousand, a thousand dollars. Now remember, I'm 16 years old, so a thousand dollars was a lot bigger then than it is now, right? So mom says, let's go out and shop for a new guitar. I'm like, okay. Mom could have used that money for anything. She didn't get money to spend on herself uh, very often in this small music shop in Salt Lake City and Taylor guitars had just come, in, come out. And they're these really, really nice uh, guitars. This guitar that was for sale was $1,000. She says, we're, we're going to buy that guitar today. I was so blown away. And through high school and, you know, school ministry and Bible college and being a youth pastor, I just played guitar all of the time, right? And whenever I look at that guitar, it just thinks, mom could have done anything with that money, but instead she she got me that guitar. She got me that, that free uh, gift. I was thinking this week, if, if our house were to burn down, uh, maybe it's all the warm, windy weather that we've been having. You start thinking about wildfires. It's like, what would I grab? There's not too many things that I would really grab. I'd grab that guitar. You know, I, I would want to make sure that that guitar made it out of, of the house. Our daughter, Eileen, she's 12. She's our, our third uh, child. She's learning to play guitar. And guess what guitar she's playing? She's playing that guitar and she's packing it around with her everywhere. So the guitar has made it to another uh, generation. A- amazing gift. I can't put a monetary value on it. How much more so the free gift of Christ? How much more so the grace that abounds to us in the person of Jesus Christ? Keep a finger here and turn with me to John chapter 1 because John expounds on the grace that is given to us in Christ. This is John 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What's different from Jesus than Adam is Jesus is God. He's the God-man, the Word, the Word that created all things, the Word that spoke things into existence. The Word became flesh. The Word humbled himself. The Word moved into the neighborhood. The Word dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, so that we could behold the glory of God. We could behold the Father. Jesus bears the image of the Father. And notice, Jesus comes in grace and truth. He comes in the fullness of grace and truth. Grace first. Never compromising truth, but this unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. Grace John, being John the Baptist, bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John the Baptist saying, I'm pointing to Christ. He's far greater than I. And of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. 
in the fullness of Christ and who he is and his finished work on the cross, his, his resurrection, we have received grace for grace. Another way to look at this is grace upon grace, overflowing grace, abounding grace that Romans talks about is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Why can God be gracious to us sinners? Because of Christ. Why can God justify us because of Christ? Why can he today give us unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor and not treat us according to our sins? Because of Christ. How come the fountain of God's grace never turns off? Because the person of Jesus Christ. We've received grace upon grace. In verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Jesus perfectly represents the father to the point where Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. The grace of God comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Romans and look at verse 16. And the gift is not that which came through the one who sinned, for judgment which came from one's offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Adam, his sin resulted in condemnation for us, us being under sin. But Christ resulted in justification, even though there was many offenses. Even though there's plenty of sin on on our part, Christ's death resulted in us being justified, declared righteous. In verse 17, for if by one man's offense death death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So the one man's offense causes death to reign. The statistics on death are pretty good, aren't they? It's like 10 out of 10 people that eat organic, they die, right? Now all for being healthy and eating healthy, but man, you're going to die because we're, we're sinners. The wages of sin is death. Through Adam's offense, death has reigned. And this is really important. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. See if you can follow me on this. Did we have a choice whether or not we would receive a sinful nature through Adam? No. That, that, that happens. That, that, that just results. But do you have a choice whether you're going to receive Jesus Christ, which will result in justification? Absolutely. And the key here is much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. You've got to receive it through faith. The only way you can receive this grace is to put your faith in Christ, to believe that he's God, that he died for your sins, that he rose again, repenting of sin and inviting him to be the Lord of your life. There's a teaching out there inside of churches. You'll hear this in some churches. It's called universalism, saying that because Christ died upon the cross, he's the last Adam, everybody's saved. Whether or not they believe in Christ or not. Well, the only problem with that is it's not biblical. That, that, that's the big problem with that is it just doesn't line up with scripture. It doesn't line up with the book, book of Romans. 
The book of Romans emphasizes faith, that we're saved by Christ alone in faith alone. Romans 10.9 is going to emphasize believing in the heart and confessing with the mouth that Jesus is Lord, resulting in salvation. Out of the very words of Jesus in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But he who doesn't believe is condemned already, is what what Jesus said. So universalism, that everybody is saved without believing in Jesus, doesn't doesn't line up with Scripture. So here's a question. Why would God require us to believe? Maybe seems a a little heavy-handed that God would require us uh, to, to believe. But without believing, there's really not a love relationship with God. You didn't have a choice whether you received the, the sinful nature, but God designed it to where you have a choice if you want to believe in him or not because he wants a real relationship. From the very beginning when he designed Adam and Eve, he designed them with free will and the opportunity to, to disobey. God's designed us with free will. And by believing in Christ and trusting and receiving this grace, you're entering into a loving relationship with God. Who, who doesn't want a loving relationship with God? Who wants to be in a marriage where the spouse didn't have opportunity to choose to be married to you? That doesn't seem very meaningful, uh, does it? Although I'm kind of thinking about arranged marriages for my daughters. <laughs> oh. But God gives us the opportunity to receive so that we can choose to be in that loving relationship with him. And the gift of grace reigns in life through, through Christ. So Adam, death reigns, but in Christ, life reigns. Verse 18, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. He who knew no sin, Christ, became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. The magnitude of his death, his burial, his resurrection, it's more than sufficient. It's more than enough. It's more than powerful to cause us to be justified as we place our faith in Christ. This is hopefully deepening in our hearts and our minds. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I'm not in a place of condemnation. I know that life now rules and reigns in me. Verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. The law actually causes offense to abound because it holds us accountable for sin and also stirs something in our sinful nature. When there's a rule, don't you just want to break it? When you see a sign that says, keep off the grass, where does your mind go? Like, oh, the grass really can't take it? What's going to happen? If I I step on the grass, is is someone going to arrest me? Is someone going to hold me accountable? But if that sign wasn't there, you'd probably go, oh, somebody worked hard on that grass. It looks nice. I'll use the sidewalk. But as soon as someone says, keep off the grass, you know, your mind starts to to go there in, in that way. The law 
provokes transgression. It causes transgression to abound. Allow this to sink in for just a moment. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Our sin abounding. Transgressing the law. But the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ abounding much more. This abounding much more is an abundant overflow. It's an endless supply of God's grace. Could this really be true in my life? Could it really be true that that my sin could never trump the grace of God poured out in the blood of Jesus? That God forgives all of my sin past, my sin present, my sin that will yet be in the future. Could this really be true for Colorado Springs and all of the sin in our community that there's no sin that's greater than the grace of God? Maybe you've been wondering, could God really forgive me? Maybe you felt like when I come inside the church building, maybe the whole church building is going to catch on fire because God's waiting to, to judge me. And here you read that God wants to, to forgive you through what Christ has done for you on the cross. His grace abounding where there is sin in our lives. Now, some of you are getting uncomfortable because you're going, I can't believe that Eric is teaching that where there is sin, that God's grace abounds more than our sin. Is he saying, hey, just go out and, and sin. It's no, no big deal. Paul's going to get to that in chapter 6 next week where he's saying, if you think grace means that you're just going to continue to go out and sin so grace may abound, certainly not. God would forbid. God forbid. I believe that if we really understand the grace, the goodness of God in the person of Jesus Christ, it's not going to produce a heart that says, I just want to go out and sin. I I just want to add sin to the equation because I know that God is going to forgive me. In a much smaller way, for those of you that are married, it's like going, well, I know my spouse is going to forgive me. So I'm just going to go ahead and sin. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and hurt my wife. I'm going to go ahead and, and hurt my husband because I know that there's going to be a forgiveness there. No, absolutely not. You're like, man, God has blessed me with an amazing spouse who is forgiving, but I'm not going to take advantage of that. I'm, I'm not going to, to test that. And with the Lord, to know that his grace is greater than our sin, I believe it wins our hearts. It moves our hearts to say, Lord, help me to be able to glorify you. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So prior to Christ, death, sin, condemnation, it reigns through, through Adam. Death, death reigned. But now through grace, grace reigns in our lives to the point where we have eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The grave no longer has the final word. If you have buried a loved one who trusted Christ as their savior, that grave is not the last time that you're going to see them. 
when you saw them in this life, that that's not the last time that you're going to see them. You're going to forever be with the Lord together. And this is echoed for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. The context of 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to study the resurrection of Christ next weekend. I didn't plan this, but we're in Romans 6 on Easter Sunday, which has everything to do with the resurrection. So we're going to study the first part of Romans chapter 6, of how we're united with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. But because Christ is risen... Death is swallowed up in victory. Death doesn't have that final word. Death is a graduation for those that are in Christ. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in the grave, the grace of God reigns. You you should know this. We should rejoice in this. For us as believers, whether it's loved ones or us personally, death does not have the final word. This body is going to wear out, is going to die, is going to be buried. But because Christ is risen, we too are going to rise. 1 Corinthians 15, at the second coming of Jesus, the dead in Christ rise and we receive glorified bodies. It's not just a new body, it's actually this body made perfect. I'm going to be buff in heaven. <laughs> That's when I'm going to stand up with the power lifters, right? A glorified body. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. We're going to receive a body like Christ that doesn't know sin, that gets to enjoy the presence of the Lord. Imagine our relationships together in heaven that's not affected by sin not sinning against each other. The grace of God reigns in our lives over death, where where we don't have to fear death. We know that I'm going to forever be with the Lord. We know that our loved ones are forever with the Lord. Does death still hurt? Absolutely. Is death scary? Absolutely. But, But there's hope in the midst of it because of Jesus Christ, because of his grace, because of his death, his burial, his resurrection. I was thinking about and and continuing to think about, well, what does this look like for grace to reign in my life? What does this look like to live under the last Adam, Jesus, instead of the first Adam in the the Garden of Eden? I I think first and foremost, for, for grace to reign in my life is to know that I'm loved by God, to know that I'm forgiven, to not walk in condemnation, but to walk in justification. I'm declared righteous because of what Christ has done for me. By faith to live in this free gift that I've received uh, from God. To live in the grace of God. To be confident not based on myself, but confident in God's character of his continual flow of grace into my life. I'm thankful this morning that God's grace hasn't dried up. That he hasn't gotten to the place of like, man, I've been gracious for a really long time. And he has grace to pour out into my life, into your life, 
and struggles with sin, areas where we could commit sin, trials that we're going through in our lives. Grace. Grace comes through Christ, and he died, and he rose again, and he's just continually pouring out this grace in our lives. Allow that grace to reign. Allow that grace to to trump. This then seems to need to impact the way that I treat others, and this is where it's difficult, because I really like grace in my life, but it's hard to extend it to you, and that's the honest truth, right? Right? Mercy, oh Lord, thank you so much for being merciful to me. But then it's a challenge to be merciful to others. And if we really understand how gracious that God is to us, then this should result in us being gracious to others. To be able to live in an atmosphere of grace. Wouldn't it be amazing in our homes if there was the atmosphere of grace? It wasn't like, how dare you? I can't believe you. Oh, oh yeah, you, you, you're a sinner just like me and, and you sinned. And so I'm going to be gracious uh, to you. You're saying, Eric, I, I really don't like the sound of this. But remember, Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth. Grace came first. Not compromising truth, but grace comes first. Grace opens the door uh, for, for truth. Well, well, you don't know my spouse, If I'm gracious to them, they're just going to walk all over me. And well, how do you think the Lord feels? You know, what have I provided for the Lord in this equation? My sin and and falling short. But yet he's, he's gracious to me. Well, you don't know my kids. You don't know them. Well, God's been gracious to me. Well, you don't know my boss. Well, you don't know Colorado. You don't know what it's like to, to drive here in Colorado, right? We can always be in this place of of seeing other people's shortcomings, but if we understand the grace that God's given to us in Christ, then then extend that grace. I, I get to be gracious because God has been gracious to me. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Why did God forgive us? Because of Christ, because of what we've studied today. That's why the Father can forgive, because of the worthiness of Christ, not us. So so we can be kind, we can be tenderhearted, we can forgive others because of Christ and what he has done for them. So this morning, we get to sit back and enjoy the goodness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We get to understand on a deeper level One man's sin, Adam's sin, in the Garden of Eden resulted in death, sin, condemnation. But the last Adam, Christ, the God-man, the perfect man, as he died for us and rose again, then the grace of God continues to flow into our lives. This overflow, this unending resource of God's grace that wins our hearts, that wins our minds, and we allow grace to, to reign. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, your your only begotten. Jesus, the word that you would become flesh and dwell among us. That in you, in your fullness is grace upon grace. 
we don't deserve it. But would you allow us to understand your grace in a greater way? May it go from our our heads to our hearts. And may grace really reign. And Holy Spirit, would you do a new work of of grace in our lives? Would you you help us to be gracious? Would you help us to, to be merciful and extend forgiveness? So hard to do, but so very important. So would you take the things we've learned and Help us to apply it to our hearts and lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.